welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy Soltero. What's up, guys? Uruguay. Uruguay's what's up. We're in real South America now. <laughs> We're deep in it, man. We're deep, We're deep, deep in, in there. there. Uruguay, bro. They're gonna be making their 14th appearance at the World Cup, man. 14. Yeah. One of the few teams in this tournament that originated, that was part of that first tournament. And actually won it, man. Yeah. Actually won it. They are two-time World Cup winners in 1930 and 1950. Yes. How much weight do we actually put onto those trophies? It's so interesting because what what I, the way I see it as is innovators, right? Mm-hmm. They hosted the first World Cup in 1930, so it kind of made sense that they won it too, mm-hmm. right? Because they were just like, look, we're going to do a World Cup. We're going to be backed by this FIFA body, governing body that's in Europe, but we're going to host it here in South America. And I just think it was like a good starting point, man. And that's why I see Uruguay as pioneers, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I see it. I, I see it as a very respectable type of trophy in the sense that like they almost deserve it by starting this tournament, setting the tone for what ended up being the greatest event on planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. they won it again in 1950. I think that was when... Was that not when they beat Brazil at the Maracanã? I'm pretty sure, Is yeah. Is that, that where that came from? Yeah. So two-time champions. From then on, the most notable appearances that I picked out from their 14 total appearances <laughs> was in 1954, they made fourth place. Uh-huh. Uh, 1970, fourth place as well. 2010, fourth place finish as yeah. well. And yeah. that's the one that that's we got to see in our lifetime. An incredible run that Uruguay went on with Diego Falan winning the Golden Ball Award, I believe. Forlan, the Golden Ball yeah. winner that yeah. year, man. Yeah. My yeah. God. They lost in style too. Mm-hmm. I remember I was like, damn, what a game. Yeah. Like, I was like, I was yeah. proud for yeah. Uruguay, even though they ultimately lost yeah. in the semis. Great, just great entertainers. Nearly, bro, flirted with going out in the quarterfinals and being on the opposite side of an African team, being in a semifinal. They were the people that stopped them from achieving absolute history. Ghana was this close, man. To this day, in my opinion, the craziest game of football I've seen at the World Cup, including those 7-1 Brazil-Germany results. To me, this Uruguay-Ghana game was the most ridiculous game I've ever seen in my life, man. The drama was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was crazy. It was like a soap opera out there, man. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. But that's what you get with Uruguay, man. Yeah. You get pure passion, passion out on that pitch. And we got to see the results of what, how far passion can go, man. With oh, Lu- Luis Suarez throwing his body on the line, bro. <laughs> sacrificing Sacrifice. himself. Just so Uruguay can make it through. And that they did. 2014, round of 16 exit. And then 2018, a quarterfinal exit right. to, I believe, eventual champions, France, in the quarterfinal. That is Uruguay leading up to this tournament. World Cup qualification comes around for Comebol. Uruguay finishes in third with eight total victories, four ties, and six losses. 22 goals for, 22 goals against. Ah. So not the most convincing qualification cycle that we're used to seeing Uruguay but they ultimately ended up finding their form towards the end and being able to just capitalize on these weaker teams, losing their position, shout out Peru, shout out teams like Chile, and getting that third place positioning. Right. They then qualify themselves for Group H at the World Cup, which consists of European royalty, Portugal, African rivals, yes. Ghana, yep. 
and then Asian forces South Korea. Mm. So a fun group and a group that is ultimately going to test Uruguay and give them a good challenge going into the knockout stages. And that's Uruguay, man. That is who is going to be making an appearance at this World Cup, a team that has gone through a lot leading up to this tournament, a team that will be really interesting to watch once the tournament plays out. So excited going deep into who this team is and excited to hear your thoughts about this Uruguayan squad. Dude, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this current Uruguayan squad is their interesting qualification run, man. Because that the first half of those 18 games in Conmebol were weird. Just straight up. I think Uruguay were actually outside of contention for a while, man. Like, And the thing is, that poor form ultimately led to the firing of Uruguayan coaching legend Oscar Tavares, man. And let's let's talk about Tavares. Yeah, we have to. But bro, because in our Germany episode, we talked about the dynasty that Yogi Love had set and the precedence of an international coach that Yogi Love was for that German and national side. But dude, Tavares was at the helm for Uruguay for 15 years. God. 15 God, years. Man. I was a child <laughs> when he was appointed. <laughs> a, a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the heights that he was able to reach, man, I, 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 you know, doing just generic research on Tavares, he joined Uruguay when they were doing, they they were kind of in a weird period. Like, I think they were knocked out of the group stage in one of the World Cups, didn't even qualify for one of them. And his goal was to just get Uruguay back on track. And that he did, man. I mean, in 2010, as you just stated, going in that beautiful run to the semifinals, winning the Copa America that next year in 2011, and then just continuing solid performance after solid performance as you said in 2014 and 2018 with two more knockout appearances man so it's so impressive what uruguay have done but what a weird cycle this was in my in my opinion because obviously it was clear argentina and brazil were the clear favorites in the qualification one and they had no problem beating anybody uruguay included no matter who uruguay fielded they got some weird results, man. I, they had losses against Venezuela. Bolivia. Bolivia, mm -hmm. yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. they had, it's just a really strange campaign. So inconsistency is the word that comes to mind when I think about the current situation of Uruguay. But you'd almost rather it be this way if you were to be inconsistent in the sense that they finally found a good run of form within the last 12 months. And I think it's ultimately down to the appointment of Diego Alonso. He's been able to basically open up this squad, kind of give them a little bit more freedom and, you know, maybe bring, no disrespect, maybe bring a little bit more modern take mm -hmm. to this Uruguayan squad because I remember, dude, there's like a four-year period where Tabatis picked the same 20 players. Uh, yes, he, yes. He didn't give anybody else a chance. And the thing is, I got it because I'm like, look, I mean, it was working to an extent, so I can't necessarily criticize him. I mean, uh, in 2014, round of 16, 2018 quarterfinals, like top eight team, it, that's good, man. Mm -hmm. Like that's as much as I could ask for for any nation. So it worked for as long as it did, absolutely. But I do think the change was coming. And I think Alonso has done a really good job for Uruguay, man. I, I really do think so. And, uh, and, you know, as any coach does, Alonso de definitely has his starters. He definitely has his favorites. But like I said, he has really opened up this squad, man. They just announced, I think like a week ago or something, the preliminary squad for the World Cup. Mm -hmm. 55 players 55. on this list. 55. 55. This 
like half of them are <laughs> residents. Like that's that's half of the population of Uruguay, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but, but what I love about it, and this is some this is a slight tangent, but they did like a Twitter post and you know in Spanish there, but they were basically like, these are the players that unite us as a country. Mm. And I'm like, dude, what a mm. what an aesthetic, what an honor to be Uruguayan, to be called up for a World Cup, what it means historically. I'm just like, bro, like, I want to interview some of these players. I want to know, like, how proud they are to represent one of the tiniest nations in the world, but footballing-wise, one of the biggest. That's the that's thing. It's, that it's incredible. It's so small. It's like the country in the 1930s decided the one thing we're <laughs> going to be good at is football. Yes. And that they have done, man. Oh Every single kid that grows up there just... Ends up being a quality footballer, man. Quality. Just knows how to control the ball. Knows, knows how to play on the ball, man. It's yeah. just, it's a natural thing that comes to these people. And yeah, I think pride is a big theme for yes. Uruguayans, man. Big theme. Every single player that plays for this squad shows immense, immense passion and pride for his team. I mean, just some names like Valverde, bro. Yeah, like this, he's a up and coming player, very young, but he already looks like he's set to be the next Uruguayan captain, yes. the next Uruguayan like legend because yes. of the way he plays for his team on the national stage. Nunez as well, I think has shown some incredible ferocity yes. and love for the game when he's wearing that jersey. So it's just something that's infectious across all players on this team. I, I can bet you all the money in the world that each one of those 55 players have the same amount of passion yes. when it comes to Uruguay, man. Exactly. There's not a single guy in that locker room that's, that's just a little shy. Everyone's <laughs> just expressive and so enamored with this country. Absolutely, man. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, you know, maybe this is why I have a soft spot for Uruguay because they, they were the first team when I watched the 2010 World Cup that I was like, oh, this is a team I would like love to root for. In 2010, I picked Uruguay because I loved the passion and the style of football that they played just immediately off the bat. And it kind of just goes with my whole footballing style and narrative of who I am as a football fan yeah, because, yeah. I mean, who's, who's my club? It's Atletico. Atletico Madrid, a club that prides itself on passion, emotion. And I've always said, like, Anytime we sign, sign an Uruguayan, I, I know he's going to do great because we almost share the same yeah. love of football naturally. Yeah. And I, I think maybe that's why I have a soft spot for Uruguay in general, regardless of how well they're doing. So looking at this team, I'm very excited to see what they can do in 2022 because like I said, they have finished this last year in really good form. I think there's still some weak points and it'll get interesting. But what's crazy about Uruguay What's crazy about this country is that they have so much talent just spread throughout the pitch that realistically, no matter who they end up fielding, they're a wild card. They can do anything. They could, they could do another semifinal run, bro. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. could. Or, or they just get knocked out in the round of 16 or something like that, just depending on their current form in this World Cup. Because I'll be completely honest, man. Like I thought the 2014 team was a little weak, and, but they still made it to the round of 16. And I thought the 2018 team wasn't actually that much better. Because for me, that's when I finally saw, I was like, okay, Suarez is getting a little old Yeah, now. yeah. That's yeah, when yeah. I finally saw them. I was like, okay, shit. Well, they didn't have Darwin Nunez at the time. They didn't have Valverde. So I was like, shit, who do Uruguay realistically have? Because Tabares at the time was still relying on a lot of those mm -hmm. old heads. But they still made a quarterfinal appearance. 
And I would have, when I saw Uruguay enter this tournament in 2018, I was like, ah, I just don't see, I don't see them making a deep run. But ultimately, they were still top eight in the world, a, a hell of an accolade. And so when I look at this 2022 Uruguayan team, for me, this is the most talented team they've had since 2010. Yeah. And yeah. If they were able to go to the semis in 2010, obviously football landscape has changed. I feel like there's a lot more competitive teams. But like I said, Uruguay, just they just have a knack for making deep runs in World Cups, bro, especially recently. So for that reason, man, I'm excited to see what Uruguay can do. Yeah, man, it felt like in 2014 and 2018, it was just the old guard just still stationed, protecting their fort, playing as the team that they have always been known to be. But in 2022, there's an incredible influx of youth yeah. and not just like prominent youth, like world-class youth <laughs> world class. mixed in with world-class veteran players. So it's like actually a really healthy mix that they have going. You throw in Diego Alonso and what he's done to revamp this squad, there's this energy, man, this energy that this team could really achieve something special yeah. if everyone buys in and they are able to perform on the biggest stage. So at the back, we have a really interesting conversation Dude. because the immediate theme is, do you go with the old guard slash the, the old option or do you bring in someone that's different? A different option, someone that's a little bit fresher. Yeah. We have a debate here between uh, Uruguayan legend, I would, I would say. Uruguayan legend, man. Fernando Muslera, who has backed this Uruguayan team at the goalkeeping position for a decade, man. Yeah. A decade of excellence, a character on the field, so recognizable every time you see Muslera, because there really is no other player that looks like him, man. No. He's such a unique player, but a great goalkeeper. A great goalkeeper at his peak, very reliable, very good. But Diego Alonso, man, he's honestly shown favoritism towards a different player in this position, and that player is Rochette. The Nacional product is getting these starts, man. Yeah. He's getting these starts leading up to a World Cup, and I think ultimately I see him starting at the World Cup despite Musleta's experience and, and talent. Musleta, is my, he's my keeper. Mm. He's my go-to Uruguayan keeper because like I said, I've only known Musleta as the keeper for Uruguay. But I actually can't remember who it was before him. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't even know who the backups are, bro, because it's just been Musleta. Yeah. And one thing I will say about Fernando is that you're absolutely right. For me, what was what made him such a great keeper is that he really stepped up in those big games, man. He made some incredible shot stops, yeah. kind of like an like Guillermo Ochoa effect in the sense that when he puts on that Uruguayan shirt, when he plays on the biggest stage, Muslera pops off. But I will say this: I think Rochette is going to start simply because of Alonso's track record recently and that big game against Peru. Uruguay had the ability to basically yeah. just distance themselves from Peru and Chile. He went with Rochette. And then when they played that second game in Santiago, just to finish off Chile, he still went with Sergio Rochette. In these friendlies, in September, both times, Rochette. Damn. So I feel like just specifically recently, he's really going with Sergio. And it, since he chose him in those big games, that tells me everything. So yeah, I, I do think, surprisingly, because I think he has less than 10 caps, bro. He's barely played realistically, but I do think Rochette is going to start at this World Cup. I'm going to name you my predicted back line, yeah. and, I and I want us to go from there. Yeah. Okay? So we got some really interesting names. To start off on the right back position, man, I thought this spot was secured, and it was, by Barcelona's very own Araujo. Araujo was set to be the starter for this position, man. Killing it at Barcelona. Yeah. His meteoric rise at the club and on the national team was so prominent, man. He was... 
right there alongside names like Valverde and Nunez as like the next up and coming crop for Uruguay. Yeah. And he was set to have this position. They had it saved for him, man. He had this seat on the plane, saved, booked, and ready and reserved. And what happens, man? The injury bug hits Araujo, man. It's so depressing. It's a theme that's been happening recently with these players getting injured, going into the World Cup. This is one of the bigger names that has been announced that will not be at the tournament due to injury. And that's so unfortunate, man, because... When we talk about passion, bro, he's one of the most passionate Uruguayan players. He, you won't have that on the field, man. You won't have that energy. You won't have that tenacity and that aggressiveness that he shows every time he's on the pitch. But not just that, his IQ. He's a really smart player. He's very formidable, and he, he just knows what to do back there. And it sucks that Uruguay won't have that because to go from him to who they have at the backup position is, in my opinion, a big downgrade. It's a big downgrade, ultimately. I think Suarez will be starting at that right back position. Then we go over to the center back position. I think Godin gets to start regardless of his age. I think Godin would be partnered with Chema Jimenez. Yeah. And then on the left side, we'll have Napoli's very own Oliveira starting. What do you think about that back line? Yeah, I, to start with Araujo, I love his physicality, man. An incredible defender because, like, like you said, he just fights. He could have been an NFL player, bro. No, yeah, dude, he's, <laughs> he's he's so fit. Like when he goes in for a challenge, I'm like, damn, that looks painful for the offender. I'm like, Jesus, he really wants that ball. Yeah. But that's what you want, especially if he's not even playing centrally. You get that sort of defensive coverage as a fullback, man. That's that's something you can't buy, as you said, like truly world-class in that position and he was touted to be one of the best defensive players at this world cup such a shame that he is in absolutely injured but what's crazy man is that he's on the preliminary list wait really yes yes what isn't that bizarre it's like officially announced and everything i know that's what i that's what i said when i looked at it i was like i was looking through the 55 and i'm like this has to be a typo i was like this is a typo and then i looked at other sources Araujo is on the preliminary list for Uruguay. He is still absolutely injured, though. He's oh very God. injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is this. He got injured like a month, maybe a month and a half ago, and he was set to be out for two months, basically meaning that best case, and I'm talking best case, he would come healthy like right bang on the tournament. But, but that's the thing, though. He'd have like no warmups, Mm-mm. nothing. Mm-mm. So I am, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. that's the thing though, is that since he's so world class, is it one of those things where you're just like, let's just call him up. If he, if he says, yes, I want to play and he's healthy, doctor gives him the green light. Oh do, as Alonso, yeah. do you take that risk? If you're Barcelona, you're probably fucking pissed. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Hey, enraged. Like, he needs to be, he needs to be resting right now. But yeah, it was very interesting right there. And I'm, I'm curious to see what like Uruguayans think, what Barcelona yeah. fans think. Very curious to see how that conversation is going because I have no idea. But th- that that's interesting. But you're absolutely right. I think the drop in that position, it, it, it's definitely significant. Damian Suarez, Hetafe player, he's been going at it in La Liga for years, man. I do think he deserves this call-up and he has the technical ability and, and the talent to play in that fullback position. I just think he's obviously not as good defensively. Another player that could also feature in that position that has played recently, Guillermo Varela, Flamengo player. Uh, I, I think he's probably the most liable at the back, and uh, which is why I would actually agree with Suarez probably starting that position. Going those center de- central defender positions gets interesting, man, because mm-hmm. Golvin's old, bro. You know, he's 36, but it's Golvin. You know, it's Uruguayan Atletico legend Diego Golvin, especially at a tournament as big as this, 
you almost want to rely on your veterans, especially when it's something like at the back. You know, it, it, I think it'd be a little bit different if he was a midfielder, for example. When you have so much talent, youthful talent in that midfield, I think it'd be different if Alonso decided to start Godin, for example. Imagine Godin was a midfielder. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> but since he is a defender, and I'll be kind of honest, I just... I don't know if Uruguay have, you know, reliable center backs out there. The thing is they do, you know, but they have Martin Cáceres, mm -hmm. but he's also up there in age. Mm -hmm. He's also 35 right now playing for the LA Galaxy, but he's been good. He's been good in the MLS. Obviously, he's just lost a, a lot of pace, but he still has that insane IQ. He's an OG defender for Uruguay, just like Diego Godin. Um, another player that could feature in that center back position, Sebastián Cuates. He's been in the Uruguayan system for years now. But, you know, if I had to compare the two just off of merit, I'd still probably pick Govin, man. So that's the thing. Like, Alonso, even though he maybe has a problem with Govin's age, because that, that, that's another thing, dude. In a lot of these games, Govin's, like, playing one game, resting the yeah, other. Yeah. Playing one game, maybe not even getting called mm -hmm. for some sessions, man. And so... It's clearly intentional, man. It's like, very that, that intentional. he's trying to, like, save him for the cup. Exactly. Yeah. So... For that reason, yeah, I think Goldin will Goldin will start, but yeah, I, I definitely start, gonna question his age. He'll start, but he'll end himself. Yeah, in the, it, the tournament. It might be like a, a Mascherano type of like, <laughs> yeah. sacrifice. Yeah, type of where type Goldin's of farewell. Like, this is gonna be if he gets an injury at this World Cup, this might do him in. Yeah, <laughs> that type of thing. It's gonna be fucking intense back yeah. there. Alongside him, you also don't get that much reliability as far as fitness, man, because you have Chema Jimenez, who obviously in his is in his prime age-wise, but dude, this guy is made of glass, bro, thin glass and he gets injured once every three four months so reliability wise you just can't trust Jimenez from a fitness standpoint but if he is healthy he's going to give you incredible minutes back there obviously they have played together at Atletico so it is a good partnership if they're both completely in form and healthy that's my only question at the back for them is fitness and then when we go left back I think it's actually pretty obvious it will be Matias Oliveira who's Right now, a big part of this Napoli team getting minutes in rotation with Mario Rui, but still in complete rotation, practicing every day and playing pretty much every other game for Napoli. And he's a big part of it. Yeah. And what I love about Oliveira, man, is ex-Hetafe player as well, but he's pretty dynamic. He can get forward, not shy with the ball, but he's also a pretty good defender. So I think that's an excellent option for Uruguay having a player like Oliveira. Yeah, I think going into this tournament, any player that has that Napoli badge next to their name I think it's like Napoli, you could say Man City, you could say Real Madrid. If your name is attached to that badge, you have my complete confidence that you deserve to be at this World Cup. Matias Oliveira is exactly that, man. Napoli is on an incredible rise right now, an incredible run, and he's playing for him. So please give him that opportunity. Oh, yeah. And he's starting often for Alonso Zuruay, man. Yeah, he's, starting, yeah. he's providing him with that confidence and that reliability. So. Please, man, start him, and I think you're good there. You have a backup in, in his namesake as well, Matias Vina, who could also start for them as well, but I think it's Oliveira's spot to lose. Yeah. And so that rounds out this back line. You pointed out a few important things, though. We have injuries with Araujo. Yeah. We have age issues with Godin. Yeah. We have injury problems with Chema Jimenez. We have an interesting goalkeeping debate with age and form there doesn't seem to be a lot of immediate security for this back line yeah and we know that when it comes to a world cup man you need some sort of reliability man does this uruguayan team have enough Shit. for me i do get concerned i get concerned. I, I get concerned because 
The midfield is world-class in my opinion, and the offense has the ability to be world-class. But at the back, I just don't see there being as high of a ceiling. I see a limitation, and that worries me, man. That worries me because there will be moments where this back line will have to step up, and I just don't know if I have the confidence to say that they ultimately will. In my opinion, it's their weakest point, but regardless of that, I do think it'll be enough to get them past the teams that they'll be facing in the group stage. The answer will be given to us once they go deeper into the tournament, but I'm already expressing this concern as of right now. I, I actually agree. It's a big concern for me as well, but what gets me, and this is what I was getting at, at the beginning of this Uruguayan preview, is that if the stars align and Godin is just fit and Jimenez is healthy, Obviously, you ha you can rely on Oliveira. And yeah, you, just, yeah, you can, you can rely completely on rely on him. I love that guy. <laughs> and Suarez, Damian Suarez mm -hmm. just plays very solidly. Very safe. And maybe, maybe he gets inspired by that Uruguayan blood. There's a chance it'll be fine. But you're absolutely right, though. It, it's, it, it, might, it might come down to a coin toss, right? Yeah, Where you, yeah. You, it's a 50-50. But if, if you're on the right side of that coin, bro... Uruguay will be fine. That's what's crazy. But again, also an, uh, uh, one, one other player I do want to highlight that actually has been playing very well, America's very own mm. Sebastián Cáceres. Very good defender and low-key a good option if maybe either Godín or Jiménez is just not healthy. Now, if they're both out, then, then we have some problems. Mm -hmm. But if one of them's out, I do think that Sebastián Cáceres can easily come in and play confidently. You think he can match up against like... This Portugal team, I, South Korea's fiery offense. You think there's enough there? I think there's enough there, but obviously still cause for concern. I'm not going to be like he's going to be a world beater and going to be <laughs> absolute world class because I don't think he is. But I do think it can be enough. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I still think it's going to come down to almost like a coin toss of probability. Yeah, we might, we might find out, like, honestly, that first game when we can kind of measure this Uruguayan squad, yes. just how these players look like in Qatar, we might just be able to see it after the game, like, oh, they're good to go. Mm -hmm. Goldin's leading his goddamn team. Yeah. He's active up front in corner kicks and set pieces. Jimenez is looking great. And that's all it takes, man, is two really good center backs to be playing at their level. And then the fullbacks, I'm confident in the fullbacks, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. confident in the fullbacks. And I don't got to ask much from the goalkeepers. So for me, it's the center backs that cause the greatest amount of yeah. questions. But if they can resolve those questions early on, they could provide a really good backbone for this team. Uruguay has a population of 3.4 million people, man. Yeah. That is the size of Utah, bro. <laughs> Utah. Yeah. And somewhere amongst a country that small, they found a guy like Federico Valverde, bro. Yeah. Just roaming around the streets of Uruguay. <laughs> just playing ball. Kick this ball for me. Kick this <laughs> ball for me, Federico. What can you do? They found a world-class midfield talent that then went on to make a name for himself at the prestigious Real Madrid club. This sport is incredible, bro. For just first off, the ability, the, the ability it gives to people to go Jeez. from somewhere like Uruguay, from, from where Federico Valverde came from, and to end up at the Santiago Bernabeu, hearing yeah. people chant his name, Vinny Jr. in your ear, just yeah. talking shit, just hyping you up, Benzema winning the Ballon d'Or right next to you. God. It's incredible, bro. It's incredible, because Valverde is having the season of his life. Uh -huh. The absolute, if there, was a, if there was a most improved player award like there is in the NBA for soccer, It'd be Valverde's, bro. That's it would already be his, bro, because yeah. he is scoring basically every single game now. And the way he's scoring these goals is what really impresses me. Yeah. It's bangers, bro. 
banger after banger after banger. He's got that Ruben Neves gene of just scoring absolute worldies, game in, game out. He doesn't know how to score a regular goal, Mm-mm. but he also steps up in big games. You got a boot. Big games, man. Champions League final assist against the mighty Liverpool that was looking great that season. That was a good. That was a good assist too. Incredible assist, it's man. There's nothing a defense could do about nope. it. Nothing. It was a perfect ball for Vinny Jr. to find, and it just proved to me in that moment that I was like, okay. Valverde is that guy. Yeah. He's that fucking guy. No more doubting this kid. He's the next man up for Uruguay, in my opinion. He will be guiding this midfield towards World Cup excellence. And what better guy to root for, man? Because he's so likable. Yeah. He's so passionate. And his quality on the ball is just incredible, man. Yeah. What I love about Valverde is that he is the epitome of the modern footballer. If you wanted to point out a guy who plays football in the year 2022, (laughs) I would pick Valverde because he can basically do anything in the midfield. If you want to play him centrally, he can play as a starting central midfielder. You want to play him out wide like he does for Real Madrid, but still in a kind of tight midfield position, he can do it. But he has the freedom and the ability to basically also be a winger and be effective out wide. But he can come in centrally. He can penetrate. He can pass. He can assist. He can score. Anything you want him to do with that soccer ball, Valverde can do it. So he's like a positionless midfielder in the modern game. And he's elite when it comes to that type of style of football. A big Valverde fan. And he's going to be paired up in the midfield alongside, I predict, Bentancur. Who's also doing really well for Tottenham this season. In my opinion, honestly doing as well as he could in that Tottenham midfield system. Matching up with Hoiberg's quality now. And kind of living up to that potential. Because last season, he was a little shaky to start off with his new Tottenham tenure. Coming from Juventus. But he's really found himself, in my opinion. He's found a way to become a lot more clinical on the ball. Scoring goals a little bit. Adding some goals to his tally but being a solid midfielder a box-to-box type of guy that can be back there to save your team if needed but can also be up front to provide that final assist or goal or just that hockey assist as they call Mm. so Bentancur in my opinion is in really good form right now and is finding himself going into this tournament absolutely man I actually questioned Bentancur for a while especially when he first made that move from Juventus to Tottenham because I thought it was always a little too slow on the ball I really did. He was, I, I could understand the quality. I could understand what he does on the pitch from like a defensive point of view in that midfield. But I was like, eh, you know, I, I, I still want a little bit more because especially nowadays when you have, I'll use the best defensive midfielder case, like a player like a healthy Angolo Kante, you know, a guy who's just so quick with his decisions. But you compare it to what Betancourt was, I think, in that first move when he moved from Juve, I was like, eh, like I feel like Tottenham could have gotten a better player. But you're right. He has really evolved himself too, man. His decision-making is so much more on point. His quickness with the ball, even even if it's a simple pass, it's effective because I think he's really, really improved just his central midfield play. And I'm going to put him in that category of like the modern-day defensive midfielder because he's so talented on the ball, but he's not necessarily a bruiser, but... He's completely fine and able when it comes to defensive duties as well. With a pairing like Valverde and Betancourt in your midfield, man? Jesus it's Christ. really, really good, man. And it's because I feel like both of them are peaking at the right time. Yeah. So I look at other names that could potentially be there, like Vecino or Torreira. Um, and I just don't see that they're at their, they're at that level. We look outside of them, and I want to talk first about Beistri, the... Uh, 
Uruguayan product. I think he's pretty young too. He's young, yeah. I feel like this guy is just pure energy. Pure energy. He's such an easy guy to root for. I remember watching him, I think it was in the either Ecuador or Venezuela game when they hosted one of those two teams in the Comebol in the final matches. But he started the game. And it was incredible seeing how proud and happy the fans were. He's just so likable, man. Yeah. This guy is so easy to root for, but he's a talent, man. He caused a lot of danger. He's a small guy, so he's tough to grab and to stop at times. Yeah. And when he's on it, man, he can dribble his way around guys and create some really, really good chances. I love what Priestley does on that right side, almost being like a winger for this team and pushing the envelope offensively for this Uruguayan team. What's interesting about Pelistri is that there was actually a lot of pressure on him to succeed because at an early age he moved to Manchester United and that's big, you know, going immediately from South America to a big club like Man U, there's going to be pressure. And you know, it, I mean, honestly, it actually hasn't worked no. out. His best games have actually been not at club level. Mm -mm. It has mm -mm. been in an Uruguayan shirt, which is why I think people were so happy seeing Pelistri at least in their eyes, kind of match up to what they were hoping for, right? Because, yes, he's an excellent dribbler and he's a very good penetrator. And, you know, low-key, he actually kind of reminds me of, like, a young Chucky Lozano. Yeah. In the sense that, like, he's not afraid to just go at defenders, even if it's not working. He's just going to keep penetrating, at least keep battling offensively. My only thing is, is that his club form is just shaky, man. No, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. He doesn't play. He's, so he's yeah. got no form. The man he's, with no form. He's a man with, <laughs> the man with no form. <laughs> and it gets interesting because you mentioned names like Torreira and Vecino. Mm -hmm. and, what, and I've seen Alonso do it. And, you know, maybe it's actually the better choice, especially Pelisi just not on it. He is in the preliminary squad and he still could feature. But what Alonso may, may actually do is play Valverde in a wide position and pair Betancourt with, for example, like a veteran vecino or Torreira, right? Have two true defensive midfielders and let Valverde kind of roam. Especially Pelisi just not on it. I actually think that's a good option. But that's the thing, though. You can still bring Pelistri off the bench. Another guy that has actually really caught my eye, bro, Agustin Canovio from Atletico Paranaense, man. He's only played like twice or three times, but recently in the friendlies. I love this guy, man. He's like a creative midfielder, but out on the wing. So he's a very, he's got a lot of tight control, loves the short pass and loves combining, but out wide. So you get a really interesting style of football when you play a player like Canovio. And obviously Paranaense are in the Copa yeah. Libertadores final, which yeah. is <laughs> in a couple of days, I think yeah. tomorrow actually. So we'll see, we'll get a good view of how well Canovio can play in a very big match. So I, I think Uruguay, regardless of whether they go with Pelister or not, have good options as replacements. Matching up against Canobio in that Copa Libertadores final will be another Uruguayan midfielder, De Arascaeta, yeah. who plays for Flamengo. And honestly, with the take I had about badges being up next to players' names, when it comes to South American teams, if you have that Flamengo badge next to your name, man, uh, I, I can't question you. I honestly can't, <laughs> yeah. man. There's some great talent on that team. And Arascaeta is one of those players that I think has gotten Alonso's approval, that has earned his confidence, and that will be paired up with whoever he's, whoever he ends up going with right beside him, whether it's Valverde, Vecino, or Torreira. He's going to be on that left side causing havoc and causing trouble, and I see him ultimately being the go-to guy there. This left wing, this left mid, this left wing, whatever you want to call it, position also interests me because in, in an interesting way, and he's also done it for Flamengo too, De Arrascaeta's best role might be off the bench. It might be, regardless if you're winning or losing, you bring on Georgie in the 60th minute regardless, and he just gives you energy, technical ability, and flair. 
Because that's ultimately what he does, man. He's an excellent midfielder, and he's very creative, too, out in a wide position. But it, it, it gets interesting because is De Arrascaeta the starter in that left mid position? I don't know. He might be the 12th man for this Uruguayan squad, and that actually might be his better role rather than being in a starting position. Now, the thing is, kind of as you said, Alonso trusts this guy mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. If he starts... He's starting and it's going to be completely fine. It's going to work out for this Uruguayan squad. If he's not starting, I 100% know that he's going to come off the bench in every single game. He has Alonso's approval, whether it's from the bench or the starting position. The only other guy that I could actually see starting because he's in pretty good form right now is Nicolas de la Cruz. River Plate's offensive winger, who has actually been a huge part of River Plate's offense for the last like four years, man. And he's just been getting better and better and better. He's in his physical prime right now. And I think de la Cruz could actually bring an interesting vantage point offensively for this Uruguayan squad because he's not an out and out winger, but he can be when he needs to be. But he's also good off of free kicks. He's an excellent crosser. And he's just an all around good offensive playmaker from a wide position. And I, I don't know, I'd be almost more inclined to start a play like De La Cruz. But again, it can, it can get very interesting here. There's a lot of points of contention you can make. And if you bring me the right argument, I could go with either one as a starter. It's the same thing we're seeing with the goalkeeping position, with the defenders, where there's two different styles, two different types of players you can yeah, go with. Yeah. Who are you ultimately going to choose? I still have him going with Arrascaeta, man. Yeah. I just see him having too much reliability and confidence in this guy. And the fact that he's in a Copa Libertadores final, and we'll, we'll get the answer tomorrow as well. Like, we could have two finalists starting for, for Uruguay on the flanks. And that's kind of dope, that's, that's dope <laughs> that's man. Kinda dope. They look across the field at each other during World Cup and they know what they both went through <laughs> just a month ago, seeing each other in a final playing against each other. So and that's true South American football. Yeah. That's what I love yeah. about Uruguay is yeah. that there's a beautiful influx of European style, but also South American. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. With that being said, though, let's go up top to a. To a place that has been an office space, man. Because you have just regulars, guys that have been here for decades, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clocking in, clocking, clocking in. out, yeah. showing up to work, doing their duty, and going home and knowing that they did an incredible job. Some names I'm going to throw at you. Luis Suarez, man. Yeah. Luis Suarez, the Uruguayan legend. I'm not even going to get into that yet. Edison Cavani, man. Mm -hmm. Another great Great player for this Uruguayan team. I mean, yeah. we talk about both these players at their peak. Some of the best offensive talents we've ever seen personally. Yeah. Swat has dominated the game and is considered one of the best top three, top five strikers the game has ever seen. Cavani, at his peak, could have been up there as well, man. Playing oh. incredible for Napoli, for PSG, and just being a, a killer, man. An absolute murderer on, on that field offensively. They used to both head this Uruguayan team and take care of that responsibility of scoring goals. And that they did, man, in the World Cups of the past, man. In comes a newcomer, a new face into this international team. And it's a name that generates so much controversy nowadays that mm. generates so much discussion because last year he was an absolute star, man. A killer. Darwin Nunez from Benfica. Played an incredible season, scoring over 20 goals and earning him one of the most expensive signings in the Premier League's history. Going over to Liverpool and joining that incredible attacking force of Roberto Firmino, Mo Salah, Diego Jota, Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunez being paired up with all of these big Jesus. names in world football. 22 years old, an incredible head of hair and an incredible player, man. Yeah. 
often criticized though because of his shortcomings this season, having a somewhat shaky start to the season in a lot of people's views. But man, I gotta disagree. I think this guy is a fucking talent. I think this dude is an absolute killer and he's got He's got that Cavani gene, man. I think he's more Cavani than he is Suarez, man. If you okay. could compare him to one of those two. Yeah. And you got this guy probably pairing up with either Luis Suarez or Cavani up front for this international team. And it's going to make for some incredible moments this World Cup if we see Nunez score a goal and have his moment on the biggest stage. Yeah, man. I actually am not at all concerned about Nunez's club form right now because at the very, very beginning of this deep dive, we talked about passion, emotion, when you don that Uruguayan shirt. And I only see passion and emotion when Darwin Nunez plays for Liverpool, man. And I think that's going to immediately translate, regardless if he's starting or not starting or scoring or not scoring for Liverpool. I just don't see that as a problem. Because at the end of the day, as you just so perfectly put it, he's still one of the most dynamic forwards in Europe. Just from a physical standpoint, he has a knack of putting himself in a very good position out on the pitch, especially in the box. His runs are explosive. And as he showed last year with Benfica and when he does get the chance for Liverpool, he is still a very good finisher. So you combine all of that and you tell him that he's going to play at the World Cup for Uruguay. I'm not concerned. He's going to start for this Uruguayan squad. I think he has to. I think he has to. And I do think he's going to be paired up alongside Uruguayan legend at this point, El Pistolero Luisito Suarez. And I actually think it's a great tandem. When you look at Suarez, especially if you watch Atletico in the last year or two, Suarez has completely lost his pace. <laughs> Absolutely. But he has not lost any of his IQ. You said it before. One of the best strikers for like a two, three-year period in all of Europe, Luis Suarez was. He still has all of that knowledge, all of that IQ that he can utilize out on the pitch, man. So you combine that with a youthful, aggressive, physical player like Darwin Nunez, I think it's a really good pairing. I really do. And the thing is, you still have a guy like Edinson Cavani to bring off the bench. Oh, Hopefully he will be completely healthy to do so. I just don't see Cavani starting simply because... I don't think you can start both Suarez and Cavani anymore mm-hmm. because they're just too old. Mm-hmm. All due respect, you have to start a guy like Darwin Nunez who is playing at one of the biggest clubs in the world right now with Liverpool. I don't see Cavani um, starting because his his form is, we have to talk about it, it's dipped, man. It's oh, absolutely, dipped. It's man. dipped I mean, a lot. His it's injuries have absolutely screwed him over, yeah. man. It's nothing of his own fault. It's just really unfortunate because as he's gotten older, his injuries have just gotten so much more apparent mm-hmm. and it sucks because there's just nothing you can do it's just down to genetics <laughs> in your body and father time man yeah father time comes for everybody bro. man comes it, for everybody it really does and for Cavani it's just hit him a little bit harder than it has other players of his own age yeah and, and I, honestly you can say Suarez is kind of on a similar type of trajectory but with Suarez there's just there is more experience there is more more big game experience he yeah. is the better player when it comes to those two so I think he has to get the start over Cavani I love the mix the influx of I love the mix. a really good youthful player and a really good veteran player i'm actually really excited to see this because not many other teams have this and uruguay has kind of embraced just the two striker or two uh offensive weapon uh setup in comparison to other teams other teams like to go with three people up top uruguay has fully embraced having two players up top take responsibility of scoring the goals and so i'm excited to see a a new player up there with darwin nunez and 
If he pops off, man, this could this could launch him, and this could be the the catalyst for a good rest of the season with Liverpool. Dude, low key. All right, man. Absolutely. Let's do let's do prediction time for this Uruguayan team, man. This is such a fun team. If you're Uruguayan, you must be so proud and excited to see them on the biggest stage yet again. Like we said, an incredible influx of young players, world class young players, and world class veterans. But when I look at the team holistically, when I look at how I see them panning out in this tournament, it's the World Cup, man. It's the World Cup. And no matter how beautiful your story is going into it, you could end with absolute tragedy, bro. <laughs> absolute tragedy, man. Yeah. That's how tough and brutal this game is. And I say that because my prediction for Uruguay is they get second place in Group H. Okay. I think Portugal will top them. But I do think that there is that possibility that they can potentially win first place. Honestly, that match is going to be an incredible one to watch because it'll be a rematch of the round of 16 game from 2018. Yes. And these are two completely new teams facing each other. So a lot of eyes will be on that match. And Uruguay gets second place. And unfortunately, they get matched up with Brazil in the round of 16. These folks know, if you're a give-and-go viewer, who I've picked to win the World Cup, it's none other than the mighty Brazil. And although Uruguay is a really good team, although they have incredible names and such a beautiful fan base, they don't match up to these South American giants, bro. They just don't. Not this time around. No, yeah. Uruguay falls short in the round of 16, and that's where their tournament ends. I hate to say it, man. I really, really do. Because after this recording, man, you got me hyped on this Uruguay team, I man. This team, man. I don't want to root for a downfall. Yeah. If they can get first, it's a different story. Maybe there's a clearer path. But I think they're getting second, bro. Yeah. And I think they go out in the round of 16. In a way, I kind of maybe have already prefaced what I think this Uruguayan team can do holistically in this tournament, man. Wild card. They could make a deep run, just like they did in 2010. They could get knocked out in the round of 16, as you're predicting, and as they did in 2014. It gets interesting because you, you just made me think about it. You're like, do I see them as dark horses? You said, I don't even know. And I've been thinking about it. I, I don't know. Yeah. To the point where, like, for me, when I think about Uruguay as a footballing nation, simply based off of what they produce and what they can do at every single tournament, I might have to put Uruguay in their own label. Yeah. In their own section. Yeah. It's Uruguay. Like, right, yeah. I'll never label yeah. them as title contenders. Or dark horses. Or dark they're horses. Right in the middle. And I'll never label them as just, oh, they're just here to have fun. Because... They can realistically, in my eyes, go as deep as they want to. Or they could get knocked out knocked very out. early. Yeah. I have no idea what this Uruguayan team is going to do. The only thing I can say is that they're going to get out of this group. That is pretty okay. much all that I'm guaranteeing. But after that, man, I mean, yeah, dude, that, if, they, if they play Brazil, that's going to be an incredible oh, game, match. bro. Good match. Uruguay-Brazil, that's your headliner? Oh, my God. That is a man. hell. Oh my of God. a main card. Yeah. My yeah, God. A South American duel, man, yeah, to start the, off the round of 16. Come and the on, thing is, man. bro, that might fuel them to play an incredible match. I'm not, if that happens, I'm not counting out Uruguay at all. Obviously, Brazil will be the favorites, but I still think Uruguay could probably beat them, especially it's just 90 minutes in the World Cup. All the history mounting to this one singular game. Anything can happen. We know it's this beautiful sport of hey, football. We know bro. what happened in 1950, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why came out on top, man? So, dude, this is tough because I just, I ultimately, I don't know what I could predict for this Uruguayan team. Yeah, it's tough. It's so fluid. This is actually really tough. Yeah. yeah. I, I can see this Uruguayan team making it to the quarterfinals. 
Okay. And after that, Fair. anything can happen. But again, if they do play Brazil, it'd be tough. They could they could win, they could lose, and maybe it's a round of sixteen exit. But yeah, I, I, ultimately, round of sixteen quarterfinals. I know it's vague, but that's all I no, got. No, no, that's it, all I, I got. Think it makes sense to these people, man, because it yeah. makes sense to me, bro. Yeah. It is so fluid with this team, and the outcomes are just infinite. Yeah, infinite. They're bro. infinite, man. They could they, be in the final because they very well could beat Portugal. If Portugal just can't find their chemistry, kind of as we prefaced, then maybe and Uruguay do. Then yeah, Uruguay no, could finish top. And they're facing against like a Serbia, Switzerland in the second yeah. in the knockout station. From then on, they could win any game. Bro. Exactly. They got the confidence of beating Cristiano Ronaldo of Portugal, bro. They could go anywhere. <laughs> that's that's ah, true. Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. What a what a, a true wild card, bro. A true, true wild a card. true wild card. So I'm very excited to see what they can do, man. And that is Uruguay, folks. Let us know how far do you think Uruguay goes in this tournament? Are they going to be around a 16 exit, or are they going to the fucking final, man? Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Please let us know. Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to keep up with us as we continue releasing more deep dives going into the tournament. Excited for the next team that we do, and we will see you guys soon. Peace. Thank you.